you know, we're reading the Bible, we're reading uh, God's word. It's not just uh, uh, the New Testament that we're familiar with, but I love the Old Testament as well. And I hope this past week, uh, did you guys download that Read Scripture app, right? Come on now. Who downloaded the Read Scripture app this past week? That's awesome to see. And I am encouraged because I was hearing uh, that you guys did start to download it. Even when I was showing the actual, uh, you know, presentation last week, the video, you guys started taking your phones. I was like, oh, no, no, not yet. Don't put your phones away there. Uh, you don't want to be a distraction. But after service, you guys did that. And, and I hope that you are experiencing uh, this past week uh, life with the Word, right? The living Word of God and, and how the, He speaks to us so personally and powerfully. And I, I encourage you, again, if you haven't, download the Read Scripture app, okay? We're doing that together uh, this coming year as QPEM, the year of the Bible. And, and I encourage you, let's, let's do this together. This, this is the book that God calls us to delight in, meditate on it day and night. Let's, let's, let's read this book, this, the, the book that is probably the most famous, the most read book of all time in history. Let's read it this year. Let's let it change us, transform us, shape us. Let's let it live its life through us. In the words of Christ and in, in what God's teaching us this coming year, I implore you, let's walk in the way of the righteous together, church. Let's begin there. Last week, the first Sunday of 2020 was about that. Let's begin in delighting in the law of the Lord, the word of God. Today is the second part of this, I guess, two-part sermon of how we're to begin 2020. And, um, you know, it's astounding when... When I'm preparing a message and I'm trying to uh, really uh, discern, God, what do you want me to preach? And, and sometimes God speaks to you and speaks to us in such a way that it is not coincident. It's, it's incredibly like astounding at times how, how, how real God is and, and how he wants you to preach a certain message. Like I went to this college retreat. To just uh, stop by. I don't want to, you know, just, just check in on them. But I want to worship with them. I want to uh, share life with them. And it's been a busy weekend. But I went there on Friday um, to join the, these young students. And I'm telling you, some of you old people here like me, uh, if you want to feel energy, if you want to you know, get energetic and feel alive, you go to a college retreat, okay? These young kids, they have such passion and energy. Staying up, right? Three, four in the morning at night, every night. And, and they're still uh, alive in the mornings, uh, unlike us. And so uh, it's, it's a great time now. Uh, to do that, but um, we were there, and, and I, I looked at the pamphlet that Pastor Peter Huang uh, prepared, and honestly, I didn't uh, look over it before. I'm just going to go into it. I trust Pastor Peter's uh, the preparation, and on Friday night, the message, I turned to it uh, on what he's going to be preaching on, and I'm there to hear this word, and it's Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 13. I'm like, Pastor Peter, what's going on here, man? This is what I was going to be preaching on this Sunday, dude. This is exactly what I was thinking about preaching for this Sunday, man. But now I was like, oh, but pass me, it worked out. I, I changed the text. I changed it before that. But I was like, this is amazing. This is kind of interesting. But not just Matthew 6, we know is the Lord's Prayer. And, and the college students, uh, you heard about the Lord's Prayer. But, but there's something unique about um, the message that Pastor Peter preached. And, and, and the title of, of Friday night's message where it's about prayer, it's the Lord's Prayer, the title of the sermon was, How Big Is Your Vision? How Big Is Your Vision? Right? Think about it. What does vision have to do with prayer? How's vision connected to prayer? And that's when I, I told Pastor Peter, brother, the Lord is speaking through both of us, man. This is what he wants us to preach on. Because this is... What I wanted to prepare this coming Sunday today to share with you today. 
How is vision tied so intricately to prayer? There's a connection there. That's what Peter Wang and I, we didn't plan this out together. He's going to do college. I'm going to preach here and, and let's do this here. No, the Lord is speaking here, church. The living God is wanting to speak to you today through his word. As you begin again, a new decade, 2020. And he's asking you, what is your vision for your life? What is the vision that you have, the plans and goals, the things you want to accomplish? We, we say it last week. We say it every year. Oh, I want to, you know, graduate college. I want to get a good job. I want to maybe buy a new house this year. I want to get married, some of you young adults. And we are praying for some of the young adults. There's a list that I talked about where the deacons are praying for young adults in order as they've asked us to pray for. And we're praying for them. Lord, would it be maybe a year you allow them to meet their partner, their spiritual partner, and grow together. I want to get healthy. I want to exercise. By the way, uh, I sold my Bowflex. Oh, no, I, I didn't sell my Bowflex. It's gone. It's gone. Last week I mentioned about Bowflex. And Deacon Levy, he said, Pastor Peter, I'm interested. I said, Levy, let's negotiate. And then Kathy said, just give it to him. What are you doing? Said, yeah, just give it to him. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. So we gave it to Levy. Levy, it's yours. It's yours. Take it. Take it from my house. Right? What's this vision of yours, church? What do you want to do? How are you going to achieve this vision? Right? Your goal. And do all these things, right? Plan it out. You know, have a schedule and, and work hard. And do. There's something key that we see in Scripture throughout. Whenever there's a vision, something happens before this vision is given. And something is imperative to have this vision come to fruition. For this vision to be realized and achieved, to come to life, something must happen. Look with me what happens here in our passage in Nehemiah. In chapter 1, verse 1 to 3, <laughs> Sister Highland read his words of Nehemiah, is a great man with a great vision here. And, and, and there's uh, these men that have come uh, from Judah, and, and there's concerns. And, and in, in, in verse 2, he's asking, uh, Nehemiah's asking these men, the Jews that had escaped, who had survived the exile concerning Jerusalem, what's going on? And, and they said to him, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile, they're in great trouble and, and shame. The wall of Jerusalem's broken down. Skates are destroyed by fire. Church, Jerusalem, as we know, is a great city. It's a beautiful city, right? Imagine this incredibly beautiful city on a hill, on a mountain. It is lying in ruins. The gates are burned. To give you a little historical context, around 587 B.C., the Babylonians invaded Judah and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, along with Solomon's temple, this grand temple right the Israelites built. In fact, it was like the third campaign in this region. Uh, on all three occasions, the Babylonians coming, and what they do is they take a number of Israelites, and they take them captive, and they resettle them in Babylon, right? They bring them back to their land. And 70 years later, after the first Babylonian invasion, Cyrus, the king of Persia, um, he's giving uh, the, the Jewish people this, this mission here to return to Jerusalem to go and rebuild your temple there. And under the leadership of this man named Zerubbabel, uh, these exiled Jews return to Jerusalem and they start to rebuild this temple. And, and things are looking good for a while, but 
It's almost looking as if Israel is on the verge of becoming this blessed nation again. It's going to be back, restored. But what happens, as we see in the Old Testament, the cycle, the destructive spiral downward of destruction that people refuse to turn away from the very sins that God has redeemed them from and, and judged them and, and the temple is not being maintained. Sacrifices have ceased. The Jewish people continue to adopt the religious practices and culture of the surrounding nations and all by this time the political, social, spiritual conditions in Jerusalem are falling apart. The city lies in ruins. It's destroyed. And here back in Persia, this Jewish man named Nehemiah, he hears of the plight of his homeland. And he feels something. He's feeling something. Look with me in verse 4. As soon as I heard these words, Nehemiah says, I sat down. And what did he do? He says, I sat down as soon as I hear what's happening in Jerusalem to the people of God, the Israelites, and and my brothers and sisters. I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days, he says. Think about that. Nehemiah, he hears what's happening and it brings him to Tears, not just tears, you know, just weeping, mourning. When's the last time we mourned and wept? Have you experienced something like that before? When's the last time we experienced such a, that that kind of deep sorrow where you weep and mourn, not just for a moment, but for days? Have we ever experienced something like that? And I know in the context of our church family recently, our brothers and sisters that are weeping and mourning over the loss of their loved ones. And we're praying for you guys. We're praying for you, Deacon Tony and Liz and, and, and Eric. We're praying for you in the loss of, of Jenny. And uh, we're praying for God would comfort you. We're praying for Deacon uh, Dave Kim's uh, grandmother who passed away uh, last week. We're praying for his family, his dad's condition. We're praying for Esther, our sister Esther back there grandfather passed away while she was at the junior high retreat. We're praying for them. And we understand that context, perhaps. Yeah, when our loved one, our dear loved one, our mom, she passed away. How can we not weep and mourn? But here, this is not just about that. Nima is not just weeping over losing a loved one, which is probably, you know, one of the depths deepest of, of mornings that we can experience on earth. He's moved to an emotion here when he hears what's happening in Jerusalem to weep over it. We think again, again, we're Asian predominantly here, or, you know, this culture that we've been raised or brought up in. Weeping is a sign of weakness, right? For guys especially. Hide your emotions, put those away. We've been learning, right? God's been sharing us. Hey, remember the retreat last October? Hey, it's about not just being tough on the outside. Let's be real on the inside in our hearts, right? And we've been exploring that, right? Explore the iceberg, our emotions. Even at the college retreat, blessed time at that Friday night where we're praying with each other, praying with the students, and we're weeping together in prayer and and one student, I can't share the details, but like asking me, like, can you 
ask God to help me to be real with my emotions because I've been suppressing that my whole life, you know, my growing up. I want to be honest with that. I prayed for that. Nehemiah is not a weak man, church. Nehemiah is not, not, not someone who, you know, is emotionally unstable. He's, you know, just a little crybaby. No, no, he's a very strong man. We're going to see that later on, kind of the leader that he is. But, but, but he's burdened here. Deeply burdened, and it's moved him to weeping and mourning. Have you ever experienced that? Have we ever experienced, if not, if we haven't experienced this, what Nehemiah is going through, you know, just, just, just mourning, weeping. Perhaps the reason why we haven't experienced it is because we are not experiencing something in life, this world, that we truly care about. Perhaps there's not something that we feel passionate about to the point where we would be led to weeping and mourning over it. Perhaps. During my seminary years at Trinity, I took a course. One of my awesome favorite professors, Dr. Crawford Loritz, an African-American professor, just full of the spirit, passionate preacher of the word, Dr. Crawford Loritz. And, and I took this uh, leadership course with him, and he's asking us this question, what is your passion? What is your purpose in life? What do you live for every day? What do you get? What excites you, right? When you get up in the morning, right? What do you think about the last thing before you fall asleep? The first thing you think about when you wake up, what, what, what gets you going, right? What gets your blood flowing, right? What are you passionate about, church? And when we think about some of those things that maybe that, you know, we're excited about, oh, I use these words. We, we throw these words around all the time saying like these words, oh, it's awesome or it's 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 you know, it was amazing, awe-inspiring, you know. I, I, I use these words, you know, when I watch a game, like yesterday's football game, you know, all that AFC, you know, divisional wild card, that was an awesome game, wasn't it? Oh, man, the sixth seed beat the number one seed. That was awesome, right? Ooh, we ate at, you know, this really nice, fancy, you know, Japanese restaurant. Oh, that, that Wagyu beef, right? Amazing, right? <laughs> Spectacular. It was just awe-inspiring, the, the, the juices, the fatty goodness, right? We use these words. What is truly awesome, if you think about it, that word, right? Awesome, full of awe. What, 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 what fills you with awe? A slice of Kobe beef? <laughs> Fun sports game? Maybe we need to experience something more than that. Perhaps you know, we need to restore you know, these, these words that we throw out and, and casually use so often. Pastor, uh, Professor Loritz, he challenged us. He, he, he was like, get away for a weekend uh, or even a long day if you can, right? And leaders, we can, sometimes have done that with the Day of Kingdom Prayers and such. He's like, he's like, write down, put a list together. I want you to do this intentionally. Write down the things that you can see in your life. What makes you pound the table and weep? There are some things. What makes you pound the table and just weep over? Because those are the passions in your heart. Don't write down what, what, what you think they should be or, or what others telling you, that, you know, in your life that how you should live. What do you truly care about deeply? 
And don't just write about it. Just think about it. Meditate on it. Keep this list guarded, right? What is your passion? Because God gives us passion, church. And when he gives us a passion, something that we can pound the table and weep over, then he gives us a vision to see that passion realized in our lives. Nehemiah seeing what's happening. The Jerusalem walls have fallen and broken down for years now. The Israelites, his people are in deep trouble. It's leading Nehemiah to pound the table and weep over it. The devastation of what's happened to his people. And now it's, he wants to respond but it's not enough just to weep. His weeping is leading him to action. And God's calling him. Um, he's, he's leaving what's comfortable there in Persia. And he's undertaking, about to undertake a monumental task. And we see this vision that God gives Nehemiah in chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, then Send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Wow, talk about a man with a vision. I want to go back. I want to help lead an effort to rebuild the city. Rebuild the walls. That's a, you talk about awesome, that's an awesome vision. That is, you know, truly amazing, awe-inspiring. But look at what Nehemiah has to do before he goes out to, you know, to Jerusalem and starts rebuilding, leading the efforts and all this stuff, okay? There's something that Nehemiah does here before even this vision is given to him. Before he can even start formulating the vision, let alone carrying it out, what does he do? This is Nehemiah chapter two. What happens before this vision is given? And this is the crux of our passage today. Chapter one, verse four. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah is burdened, deeply burdened. And his burden drives him to do something. It's not what we think that should drive a man with a burden. You know, it's not, maybe some of us, you know, me included, I, you know, I think of something I, you know, that must be done. I have a vision. Let's do it. Let's work hard for it. Let's have a plan, organize it. Let's get everyone together. It doesn't begin even with the vision. Nehemiah's vision doesn't begin with the vision. It begins actually here with a burden, a concern, a deep, deep care for what's happening to the people to the point where it leads him to weep and mourn. And with this burden, it leads him to prayer. To prayer. Our chapter one is, is his prayer. Verses five to 11 is Nehemiah's prayer. This is what he does prolonged period of prayer, fasting. How does this prayer start? In verse five, oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, 
who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. College students, you, you just came back from the college retreat, right? Lord's Prayer, model prayer that Jesus teaches us. Nehemiah begins with the prayer in a very exact, similar way. This is how prayer ought to start. Adoration. Oh, Lord, God of heaven. I'm praying to the God of the heavens and the earth. Oh, God, you are awesome and great. You keep covenant, your steadfast love. Always. Oh, what a beautiful start to prayer. I, I encourage us to start our prayers that way. In adoration. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. How awesome is your name. <laughs> you are holy. You are holy. How can we know that God is holy? How can we know that God is awesome? You know, Pastor Peter, well, I appreciate the insights you shared at the retreat. You know, God created us, remember, students? Number one, for his glory, right? God created us for his glory, and how can we know his glory? <laughs> we lost that glory through our sin. How can we know his glory once again? John 1.14, we have seen his glory. Glory of that of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory through his son, Jesus Christ. <laughs> the special revelation that God has given to you. If you know Jesus now, you have seen his glory. And through Jesus, we have that relationship again with the Father. Praise God. That's a good news, isn't it? Right? How can we have this prayer to a God that I can say, God, you are my God. And in the context of the Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven, in the context of corporate prayer, we're praying this together as a body of Christ. How can we do that? It's because of Christ. Because of the glory that he's revealed to us. Now we know his glory. Thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus Christ. By his death and resurrection, now we know you again. We have this relationship with you. And now, in the Lord's Prayer, as Pastor Huang says, it's a prayer for the Christian disciple. It's not a prayer just for a non-believer or anybody. It's a prayer for the Christian disciples. It's a prayer for believers. Nehemiah is a one who knows the awesome and almighty God. He prays that. He prays that, church. Our vision is shaped by such a prayer, right? For what we're living for now, what are we living for? Ultimately, God created us to glorify him and to enjoy him forever, right? In prayer, we're Reminded and brought back to that place to be reminded, what am I living for? It's ultimately to glorify you, Father, and your son, Jesus Christ, to lift up your name, Jesus. And if you look at this prayer, it starts with adoration. And just real quickly, just for time's sake, I mean, I, this prayer is incredibly models the Lord's prayer. Look at verse 6. It's petition. He's asking God, let your ear be attentive, your eyes be opened to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you in day and night. God, would you listen to our hearts? Verse 11, attentive to the prayer who delight to fear your name. Would you give success to your servant today, God? Grant him mercy. It's a petition to God. Give to us this, our daily bread. What we need to survive, God, I ask of you, right? 
And then verse six or seven, again, it's incredibly, again, a line. Confession. Forgive us our debts and lead us not. You know, forgive us our debts and forgive us those who have trespassed against us. Verse six to seven, let your ear be attentive. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and you have not kept, and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. is confession. Adoration before we ask God, give us this. I confess to you our sins, how I have disappointed and failed you to not live out the way of the righteous that you've called us to. And he continues on and he closes off this prayer in verse 9 to 11. Really, it's asking for God's protection. If you return to me, you said, God, if you said, if we keep your commandments and do them, then you will gather us from there and bring us to that place to make your name dwell. Bring us back. Deliver us from evil. Protect us, God. Protect us, Lord. You see, church, this is Nehemiah's prayer. And the parallels to the Lord's prayer, to be honest, is astounding. It's beautiful there. Nehemiah was a man with a great vision. Incredible vision to go. He sees an issue, he sees devastation. Let's go and do this. You know, sometimes we're like that, right? I see an issue. Come on now, let's build up the body. Let's go in Jerusalem. Let's build up the walls again. Rebuild the city. Come on, we can do it. Before he does that, though, before the vision, it begins with a burden, a deep care and cry out, a passion of his. That passion always leads us to prayer, church. Before vision, there is prayer. <laughs> and when we pray, we see what happens. God works, you know, in Nehemiah chapter 4, just verse 20. I'm not going to go through all this, but it says, in that place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to go us there, our God will fight for us, it says. God is with us in prayer. God is, you know, fighting for us on our behalf. God is Emmanuel. He's, he's walking with us. Do you believe that, church? In prayer, God listens. He's with you and he's able to minister to your needs and what you're asking for help. And, and when we do that, what happens in the context here in Nehemiah as he closes this beautiful story, Nehemiah 6, the verse 15, 16, the walls were finished on the 25th day of the month in 52 days. That is astoundingly quick. I mean, it's going to take, what, two years for our, our new church building to be built and finished. 52 days the city is rebuilt. The walls are restored. And here in verse 16, all the enemies heard of it. Nations around us were afraid. They felt greatly in their own esteem. They perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God, church. That's what it's all about, isn't it? What are we doing this all for? What's this for? That the people around us, the world around us, that they would see God they would see the Lord at work. That through our, you know, unity and our church, that we would 
reach this world, this fallen world, a city on a hill, right? That's what Jerusalem was. There'd be a city on a hill, even here in Flushing, that we would be that church that shines the light of Christ, that others would be attracted to see what's going on here, to see this incredible, supernatural, awesome, great God at work. I want to be part of that. I want him in my life. And it all happens, and all this great vision accomplished, it happens through prayer, church. What is your vision? What is the vision for your life? What's most important? What do you care about? Whatever that is, I pray that's, that's your burdens. That's what you'll pound the table over. That's what we'll weep about. What does your heart break for? When's the last time you prayed and cried out? You know, even this past Wednesday, prayers and prayer, I was praying church and I was praying and, you know, it's just, a, just, we're just praying, God, bring your people back to pray. And as I was praying for our church and as I was praying for you guys and especially our leaders to come together to pray, I was moved to tears. I was starting to weep as I'm praying that we would be a church that goes back to prayer. God, bring us back to our knees. Bring us back to you. We've forgotten you. We've forgotten who you are and what you have done for us. God, bring us back to you. That college retreat that last night was a beautiful time, wasn't it? I would say that night was awesome. As we're praying and, and, and sharing tears with one another, how fitting the college group, the name for college group is Horizon, right? And we shared what that word means, if you forgot or haven't heard. Horizon, our college group ministry's name. Horizon is a Latin word for prayer. It's a Latin word for prayer. What a beautiful, beautiful ministry name. I pray our church would be an Horizon church. I pray that our church would be a church with a vision, immersed in God's kingdom work, to live out Jesus Christ in and through our lives. Church, I close with this one passage we know very well. I want to show us how, how important this is. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We know that verse very well. Discipleship, we've memorized that verse. God, you have a plan for my life. You have a vision for my life and for my family, for our church. It's a plan to prosper us, not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. Thank you, God, for your vision for us but here's the key. This is what we leave out so often. The very next verse, verse 12. Then you will call upon me and you will come and pray to me and I will hear you, church. I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your hearts. Your vision is connected to prayer. The plans that God has for you, your life, your vision for 2020, this next decade. The key is prayer, church. God is calling you to come to him. 
God's saying, come back to me. Come on now. Come back to me. It's been too long, okay? It's been too long. We haven't had that intimacy in a while. Come on now. Come back to me. Come and pray to me. And I promise I will listen to you, he says. I'll listen. You'll seek me and you'll find me. But do so with all your heart, church. Do so with all your heart. I close with a quote by Dan Sutherland. He wrote this book, Transitioning, Leading Your Church Through Change. It's a great book on vision. He writes this and he says, we cannot carry out an effective spiritual ministry apart from prayer. We need God's heart and his mind. Vision is usually given to those who pray until they get it. Church, if prayer is not the octane that fuels your vision, your vision will stall out and your church will be motionless, church. True. What is your vision? What is our vision? May it be led and grounded in prayer, church. As the prayer of Nehemiah shows us, let's go to him, adore him. Let's cry out to him. Let's confess our sins. Let's ask him, God, forgive us. And Father, lead us. Protect us. Lead us. You are with us. And you will always be with us always. That your vision that you give to us will be accomplished, not through our might, but through yours. And may your will be done. And may you, Father, be glorified this year, this decade in my life. Let's pray, church. Pastor Nanjun and as Stephen comes out to worship, passions in your hearts what are the burdens that you feel what are some things that you will pound the table over in your life I pray you will have those because that's passion a life without passion I don't know if that's missing out on, on the essence of life isn't it and I pray that whatever that passion is that God's given to you that, that it would lead you Relationship.